entrepreneurs, side hustlers, and startups everywhere. We've got an amazing guest for you today on the Seven Figures Club podcast. If you're looking to build a team, a culture, and have the kind of staff that leads to massive success and growth with your business, then you're going to want to pay attention to today's guest. Today's guest is my good friend, Rob Lifferth. And Rob hails from Utah. He's been in the tech space for a number of years. He's an HR genius. He started out his career as an HR director at Fusion IO, which was eventually, eventually became a unicorn billion dollar company. We're going to talk to him about the journey uh, and the integral role that he played and everything he learned in working there for five years and building that company up. He's uh, had some other amazing experiences at uh, different organizations, including he was executive VP of human resources at Upwell Health. Uh, he also has consulted for Mountain Talent, and currently, after he was a VP, actually he still is VP of Human Capital at Alta Global Ventures. He co-founded Tech Buzz News, which is a big news source here in Silicon Slopes, Utah. He's also the co-founder and owner of ISO Talent, which uh, is an incredible tech company that uh, focuses in on staff and team and really placing the right professionals in your organization so that you can build the type of business that you want. Because as Jim Collins would say in the book, From Good to Great, it's getting the right people on the bus that matters. Rob, welcome to the show. There are over 32 million businesses in the U.S. and over 90% of them will never break seven figures in annual sales. So how do we as entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs break into that seven figures club? This podcast will relentlessly share the secrets, strategies, and tactics I've used to create three multi-seven figures businesses and bring in even more successful entrepreneurs than me to share their inspirational stories and tactics to success. You can create your dream business in life right now. So buckle up and let's go. Thanks, Leo. It's good to, good to see you again. Nice to, nice to catch up. Excited to be here. Yeah, no. So the, let's start with your background a little bit. Uh, what were some of the, the key events that led you towards the tech space, number one? And number two, uh, was it always kind of your goal to eventually, you know, start your own business, uh, you know, your own startup, your own tech company? Or what were some of the steps that kind of led you down that path? Yeah, so so I've always been drawn to tech. Uh, I have two of my First degree is actually in information systems, um, and that was kind of my first foray out of college. Um, I have a second degree in human resources that I got as well. And so I just always have loved tech. Um, as far as starting a company, no, I actually didn't. Like, you know, I went out of my way when I started my, you know, started my career. I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. Like, I went out of my way, I'm like, I'll never do that. Um, my dad wasn't... Uh, he was a. Uh, he founded his own company. Went through through his whole life as that, and he, you know, and he had a, a very successful exit at the end. And um, I remember growing up, you, you know, the the funny thing about startups and and starting your own company, there's that little dash between the start and the end. You know, when you say you you've been there that long, you know, it's you have the ups and the downs. I remember, you know, watching I'm like man, that grind is real, and it's it's it wasn't. Oh, yeah. I wasn't all that excited about it, um, but I was excited about. I like the idea of of building stuff from scratch, and so you know when we jumped into, I, I was really drawn to the idea of startups. I just didn't want to start my own for a long, long time until I had a you know I ran into an idea that I that we had to put you know take take a run on. 
Um, so when I when I came out of college and you know I wanted to jump into tech and, and Fusion was was had a couple smaller roles you know straight out of college for a couple of years and I got a, I I got a tap on my shoulder from an, an old professor of mine and said hey I got a, I got this lead you should really consider it um, and I had, I was like eight months into my current role and I'm like oh I just landed this thing but I took the phone call and it, you know as it as it goes I, I jumped on that was that was a wild ride. So, I mean, and it's been, you know, and I've never looked back. Once I got it, like that taste, I, I could not, not be in startups. So when you started there at Fusion in 2009, how big was the company? And, uh, you know, obviously a big part of a startup is getting the right people on the bus, recruiting the right team. Uh, what was that process like as you started out there in 2009? Yeah, so there was about, I think there were 75 people at the company at the time that I, that I came on. And um, so was, that was September-ish of 2000, November 2009. And from, it was me and another, there was two other people in that, in that HR group. And, and our task was to grow it as fast as we can. We just closed around a funding. We had a lot of, a lot of money. We had a really yeah. innovative idea that was, that was taking off the market. And so we had to expand across the globe um, and so that was my first, you know, really, I mean, we opened up 22 countries and we were hiring on every continent and in every position imaginable on wow. the most like wild, really specific tech, technical things that we had to find both in software, hardware, you know, and down to the kernel level. It was, it, it was a really, really tough technical um, solution, not only to to solve the, the the challenge that Fusion I was solving, but to find the people that could do it, and so we were. I mean, I, I still have. There's some people I still feel guilty. I pulled a, a guy out of his PhD out of Yale, you know, to, to go. He made a bunch, but like you know, you do these things because we had. You just had to take advantage of the opportunity that was in front of us. It was it was it was amazing. So we grew from 2009 to, to when we. Exited from SanDisk, which was 2014-ish. I think that's right. Summer 2014. Um, there was a thousand people, right? And so it was just this wild exponential growth of, of people that were coming in. Um, when we went public, I think we went public around 600 people, which was about two years later. We went public in June of 2011. So just, I mean, we were just stacking them in uh, as fast as we possibly could. We put it about 250 engineers in there in that time. So. It was awesome. Wow, unbelievable. So you went from 75 headcount all the way up to a thousand. And mm -hmm. as the HR director, like a big part of that was you trying to find and your team's uh, finding the right people and you're having to hire in across 22 countries. Is that what you said? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we we hired from 22 countries. We did all from the United States. And so it was, it was an interesting challenge. Um, so we had... You know, we brought in some really, really talented engineers, uh, recruiters that um, that helped us do that. Uh, I mean, just some absolute amazing people. David Hollingshouse, Joe St. Ledger. These guys were just legends in in their own world that could go and find these talents across the world and build out an amazing sales team and technical team. Um, and then uh, we had some other engineers that came in and helped us, or excuse me, recruiters that helped on the engineering side as well as we started to, to expand. So I obviously didn't do it alone. Um, but it was it was one of those things that I think in the in the five years that I was there, I, my role 
split seven different times. I would, you know, I did everything, wow. everything under the sun in HR, just because, I mean, you just do what you have to do. Um, a lot of late nights and early mornings and, you know, it was, it was a ton of fun. Exactly right. And, and grew that. And then, uh, so you guys IPO'd a couple of years later in 2011, and then mm -hmm. from there continue to grow and eventually were purchased by SanDisk, which, uh, you know, anybody who knows anything about the tech space knows that that's a, a huge tech conglomerate that makes a lot of things happen. And so for them to pick you guys up, obviously they saw that this was going to be a great fit for everything that they were doing. And so you had that incredible success, that ride. And then what were some of the next steps uh, throughout your career? And before you get to that, what were some of your takeaways of building a business that fast growing? I mean, you guys basically 12x your headcount in about five years, which that's not that's not typical. That's very irregular. What were some of your takeaways as you you know moved from that organization to your next opportunity? Yeah, it's it's interesting when 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 you're in a and we had like a lot of like press. You know, we were doing some pretty, some pretty innovative stuff. I mean, yeah. all of Apple, all of all of Facebook. Uh, Facebook was brand new at the time. Like their entire backend infrastructure was sitting on their stuff. So like we were getting a lot of press, and so with that, I mean, I was getting recruiting calls all the time. Hey, come be our next. You know, I wasn't the head of HR. We ha I had two. Uh, three different leaders in front of me that were uh, over the, my time there that were that I was learning a lot from, right? So I kept getting these calls like, "Hey, come run your own show, you know, come come run our HR department, you know, at this next startup." And I said no a lot, um, which was one of my big takeaways from it. And the reason why was that one fusion I was really hard to recreate, right? And that's you know, looking in my you know my career at this point, you know, it's really hard to recreate that that kind of success. But I was still learning a lot from these leaders, um, world-class leaders, like, you know, Kay Tolomeo, uh, David Winley. You know, David was the uh, CHRO of Yahoo before, you know, before Fusion. So just like crazy talent, right? And um, before I took that next step, because that was my ultimate goal for my, for my uh, career perspective, I just wanted to make sure that I was ready because like, you know, once you make, I didn't want to go up there and stub my toe. And then, it, you know, that's really a good way to like, set your, your career back. And so patience was um, hard because they were throwing a lot of money at me, you know, a lot of different options. And you just, you just have to wait. And so um, I just wanted to make sure that I was, I was ready for that and, and waiting for the right opportunity. You know, in the last couple of years, there's been, you know, obviously a lot of different uh, things happening in the job market. And I think a couple of years ago, a lot of people, you know, maybe, made that decision and they jumped and they took the extra money or they took this. And then, you know, now things have kind of changed a little bit and, and employers are looking back. And how important do you think it is uh, where so many people jump ship so fast nowadays to be able to stay in one place and stay loyal uh, to some, to a company and a firm that gives you an amazing opportunity how how important is it for people to consider that as they're going through their careers? Because a lot of people will just take the extra money and run, and that's not always the right decision. It sounds yeah. like the decision you made to stay ended up being one that you were pretty grateful you made that decision. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I made the decision. There, there's a value exchange that, that I think you have to like be honest about. So I think the greatest issue in 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 people when they're managing their career is they don't they don't appreciate the value exchange that's happening, and so. Um, my 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 business partner Paul Ostrom says uh, the the definition of a good employee and a bad employee is the same. Like where where the value exchange of the employees is 
above what you're being compensated, right? And so the way to offset that is through through equity. And so that way, when when an employee is creating is creating more value for the company, they're being compensated through their through their equity that they've been given. I'm a firm firm believer in that. And so, but without equity, then that you know it really becomes you know like really messed up. And so um, you can get pretty disenfranchised pretty quick. Um, for me, I was learning a lot, a lot, and it was I was still young, and and um, I think employees jump too early these days, um, and and there's a lot to be said. I, I, like getting into the loyalty between companies and and employees, I don't think that we've gotten to. It's not like my my parents' generations where you stay at a company for 40 years anymore. Um, I think it's healthy for for employees to move on at some point, you know. But I think it's happening way too early. Like right now, the the average tenure in, in for an employee is 2.3 years. Um, you know, I think five years is healthy. Four four five years, you get into the spot where you like you've learned what you learned. It's time to go and maybe learn for something else. And and employers should celebrate it if it's done in the right mark. And and employees should be, um, you know, there there should be mutual respect when it, when you leave. You know, if if it's done correctly. And, and he made a huge point there because a lot of people will think, oh, I'm going to go work for the established company. I don't want to work for the uncertain startup. And yet that established company is probably not going to have that opportunity where you can earn some equity shares by delivering a lot of value. And when you can jump on a startup that has that type of opportunity and those equity shares can take somebody who's you know, number 50, number 100 in an organization and really have an amazing exit at some point that you're just not going to have the opportunity elsewhere. And so I think that's an important value bomb that everybody listening today should take away is startups aren't for everybody, but for those who are driven, can put in the extra time, deliver more value and, and help that company get the result, there is an amazing reward at the end when you actually put that in. Yeah, it's interesting. So Fusion IO, when we went public in 2011, uh, I think it was June 2011, and um, there was over 40 uh, employees outside of the executive staff. So outside of you know the C-suite, 40 employees were million, were made millionaires who were not millionaires the day before. And so, and and it was a real testament. The founders were were really great about being very very generous. Uh, that was that was a day one strategy that they made was that. They were generous with their equity. If 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 I'm going to make it, we're all going to make it. Was was the, the mindset, and it um, and it set. If you go back and look at the alumni of, of, of Fusion, I mean, there's that tree of success has been broadened by that, and 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 it, it leaves a legacy to those those founders that helped establish these guys from a personal perspective. They go out and start their own thing. So that was um, it was great. It's awesome. I I would kind of describe it at that point almost as like you know you guys well, Fusion won the Super Bowl there. You guys were all Super Bowl champions, and and you know for the rest of your life you're going to remember that team and that experience, and and that's just that's just awesome. So so you got there, and then uh, next you know you you started uh, looking at additional opportunities, and then your next step was you went uh, to Upwell Health there and uh, served as executive VP of human resources there. So it sounds like at that point, you took on a greater leadership role. What were some of the challenges as, you know, became a new leader executive in that firm? Yeah, I came in. So that was, uh, I went, it was another, uh, so it was, uh, Fusion was a Mercado company, uh, Upwell, previously known as, as Alliance Health, was another portfolio company. And they, they brought me over and said, hey, did once come come take a leadership role. 
it was my first, you know, hey, you're the leader. Let's go, let's go run it. Um, they had a lot of momentum and it was going really, really well for a long time. We grew from 400 employees to almost about a thousand, uh, about 80 million in revenue to about 200 million in revenue at its high watermark. We really, really, really nice it, um, uh, growth. Uh, we ran into some, we ran into some, some issues in, in the marketplace and it was one of those, one of those success stories. And it went all the, you know, that, that flamed out, right? Like, and so um, it was a high flyer. We did everything right from a growth perspective and putting in the right, you know, training to, you know, that established back to, to its revenue. And, uh, you know, if you don't get everything, all your T's and C's and everything buttoned up, it can, it can unbutton in a company and it, and it certainly did in this, this standpoint. So uh, it's, it, it, there's a lot of learning that happened there. It was, that was a, a, a big bummer because it was, that was on, that one had a, um, from a potential perspective was, was going a lot faster and could have been a lot bigger than, than fusion was, but it, you know, you, you got to keep innovating, you know, keep everyone, you know, keep it all clean. So. And so, you know, things don't always go well in business. As Mark Cuban says, you only have to be right in business once. But every successful, you know, business professional at some point is going to be faced with massive adversity. And so as you face that type of adversity and building that and seeing the growth, and then at some point, you guys just kind of hit a wall with that. How did you get back on track and push through that, that adversity? Because, you know, I, I remember when I went through, you know, a lot of adversity during the 08-09 recession, uh, business I started had done well and then didn't do as well during the recession. Investments I had made didn't go as well. In fact, they went horrible, uh, horribly for me during the recession. And getting back on track really took me a lot longer time than it should have. How were you able to get back on track quickly and not uh, not take that failure quite so personally, but just use it as a learning experience because every successful entrepreneur and uh, business professional at some point in their career is going to be faced with that, if not multiple times. Yeah. So so when I left when I left Alliance um, or Upwell, um, you know, I went out and I was uh, you know I just, I just started consulting, and it, and honestly, consulting was like me going through like, hey, what do I want to do when I grow up, you know, kind of thing, and so yeah. I was, you know, helping companies out and figuring it out. And I got a, um, I got a call from my now business partner, Paul Alstrom said, Hey, look, um, you know, come, come in, come into our portfolio, take a look, come help our, our fund, uh, our portfolio companies. And, and, uh, and that's when I, I joined as, as head of HR for the fund. Um, after I'd been, you know, looking for, you know, kind of consulting for a year and figuring things out. Um, and what it was to, to answer your question, I was I had to figure out that you know what what made me successful, you know, back in, in my other roles, right? And so it was surrounding myself with good people, um, betting on myself, right, knowing what I'm good at, knowing my my holes, my weaknesses, right, and being um, painfully self aware of those weaknesses because, like, you know, uh, you're not good at everything, right? That you know, that's in and that's the disillusionment that I think a lot of uh, of hyper successful people will will fall into is they're like they think that they have just the Midas touch on everything and that's not always the case and so if you can identify your weak spots you know and surround yourself to to complement those weak spots that's that's what we did and so um, as I came into Alta Scout or excuse me Alta Ventures um, 
uh, we started uh, looking at the needs of what the port codes needed there, the portfolio companies needed. Um, and a lot of it was like, they were series, series seed and series A companies and they all had talent issues, right? Mm-hmm. Couldn't, couldn't uh, find talent, couldn't you know, recruit it fast enough, didn't have the know-how, whatever. And so we started working on solutions. And the first solution we worked on was bringing engineers up from Mexico. Um, we found a visa that we could literally make an offer and I can get them sitting in from Mexico to Utah in less than two weeks, which is, you know, wow. from a visa perspective is like, I mean, the H-1B still to this day, if I were trying to do that on an H-1B, it's like seven year plus. So like to do it in two, two weeks is just unheard of. Um, and, and we can still do that today. It's, it's, uh, we've, we've, um, you know, we didn't obviously invent that, but like we, and we just really streamlined that process. So finding talent anywhere and then, and then recruiting it up, turns out people were really, really interested. In that. Um, but then I got, as an HR professional, I hated the recruiting process, like the, the, the contingency model, like, you know, one of the things about HR is that that um, we notoriously have the lowest budget, and so when someone comes in with a contingency fee and says, "Hey, hey go here's twenty five percent of the you go pay twenty five percent of the fee because they have a special database," but that's like the biggest lie in all recruiting is someone has a special database. They're all looking on LinkedIn and then bringing them in, and so um, what <laughs> you know, it just I, I, I knew that there was a better way, and so we started working on an hour hourly solution um, that would it ended up cutting 40 to 80% of the costs out of the recruiting process. And so, you know, for example, we can bring a controller into to a company instead of it costing a company 27, 20, you know, $30,000, we can bring it in for, you know, usually about 7,500 bucks. And, and when we started introducing that into our portfolio companies, it was within a matter of months that we were completely inundated and, and like all of a sudden like hiring is hiring our recruiters as fast as we can we were growing out of our shoes. So basically what you discovered there, so uh, so your next opportunity there, you jumped to this uh, VC firm. And if you guys have not heard of Paul Alstrom, AHL, S-T-R-O-M, a phenomenal entrepreneur who has done incredible things uh, in, in the tech world over the last several decades. And so he's he's running this uh, this venture capital firm. You come in to help out with the HR and basically you discover a way to disrupt how the HR recruiting space is working and you make it more efficient. And when when things become more efficient, generally they become more affordable. And it sounds like that's exactly what you guys began to discover as you're implementing these engineers and these professionals that these uh, growth uh, uh, venture-backed firms need in order to take the next step. And so, and so then at that point, now you've got a formula. What was the next uh, decision or step uh, that you, you guys decided to do at that point? So it, ironically, we're sitting inside of, we're sitting, I'm sitting inside of, you know, my day job is, is in you know, helping Portco's at, you know, Alta Scout or Alta Ventures. The original company is called Alta Scout. And so, and that was our day job. And so I was doing the recruiting on the side. Um, as a side hustle, Paul helped, you know, we'd, we'd set it up as a partnership. Um, Paul made the decision to wind, um, not do the next, the next, uh, his next fund and out to, out to ventures. And so he was finishing out his current, his current fund. And then that he's like, okay, what are we going to do? And so we set this up and we bootstrapped it. Like we like made the decision, Hey, 
Um, if we're going to do this right, sometimes the problem with like bringing on VC money, don't get me wrong, there is a time for it. Um, if that's sure. what you want to do. Um, but when you bootstrap it, like you get to, you get the truth real fast, right? Like, you know, is this going to work? It's not going to work. Right. Can I pay my, my next month's bills, whatever. Like there, there's no time for fluff. And, um, we got to, you know, that first year we inked out a small profit. Um, we made about, I can't remember, it was a quarter million dollars, uh, which is great. You know, fed a couple of us. That was good. Um, COVID hit, right? At that same time, oh. right after it. And I'm like, oh, man. And, and I remember, I'll never remember, like, the day that Rudy Gobert got, got COVID, right? And that was announced, like, Rudy Gobert equals COVID for me. Sorry, Rudy. But, like, <laughs> yeah, um, it does. We, we lost 80% of our customers in three hours. It was like, it was just, just a horrible day. Right. And I'm like, dang it. That, that, and, and I remember my, I had a fractional CFO. He's still my guy now. And he's like, that's too bad. Rob, you had a pretty good thing going on there for a while. And, uh, you know, and we laugh about that now. Um, when all this dust settled about six weeks later, all my customers came back and we grew four X that year bootstrap. So we went from, we went from 250 to a million dollars in, in basically, and it, honestly, it was like eight months. Like it was just a rocket ship um, because everyone had fired the recruiters. They're looking for alternatives and, and the market picked up heavily. Um, and it was at that point, we're like, okay, we got something here. Um, and, and so we picked up some VC, developed our platform and, and, and haven't looked back. It's been, it's been great. And we've doubled or, you know, tripled or, you know, tripled and doubled every year since. And so, um, it's been, it's been an awesome experience. The thing that I loved about, um, the, I shouldn't say love it. The upside of COVID was COVID made us look and say, okay, look, this is the hand we're dealt. What are we going to do with it? And so you can either, you know, it's one of those times where you kind of figure out who you are personally, 100%. we can either roll over or you just, you know, you roll with it. And so one of the, one of the silver linings that we found in COVID is, is that as everyone went remote, all of a sudden, nobody cared where people live. And so we jumped on that opportunity. And so we started hiring people in Mexico instead of bringing them up, uh, developers up from Mexico. We just leave them there. And our clients love that. Yeah. And so we were able to bring, and now we're at 150 countries. Um, if you have a country you need to go into, we can we can employ them there and, and help them out. And, and we've expanded from just technical support to there's nothing that we, we can't hire. And so we hire... Um, we do a lot of engineering. We do a lot of accounting, foreign accounting, which has been awesome. Um, you see a lot of customer service. Like um, the basic rule of thumb is they don't if they don't need to be in physical you know distance to a customer or a product um, to to ship it or touch it. Like do it remote, and you can save you can save a lot of money. And what we're finding is like in these countries where I mean, where you and I met in Chile, right? Like oh, amazingly yeah. intelligent people. In every country across the world, it's just a matter of like getting access to that talent. Um, and in in the United States, I mean, we're all facing it. it. There's a wild talent shortage, and so you have to be creative to to fill your needs. Like you have to, otherwise your business will die. Or and if it doesn't die, it will never reach its maximum potential. And that's to me as as an entrepreneur. You know, everyone has their own motivations. My biggest motivation and, and maybe the thing that scares me the most is not meeting my max. Like, I, I will look back at my life and feel like I wasted it if I don't meet what I consider my maximum potential, right, for me or my business. And so that's that's been our goal. And and, and finding this international stream of, of talent has been amazing. And it's been fun to watch our, you know, 
our little help to help the, you know, our clients go and, and, and meet their potential and watch them, you know, have exits and, you know, go through the fun things that they're going through and think that we have, you know, a minor part of being that. Like, it really is funny the way that we look at our talent, our clients now is like, it's like, it's like watching your siblings, your kids grow up, like you're just stoked for their success. Right. And so any, any hand we can have in part of that is great. You know, and a lot of value bombs, everyone that uh, that Rob just dropped for you there. And if I was going to start to unpack those, I'd start with when you are dealt with this massive curveball that none of us could have anticipated coming like COVID, there were two types of entrepreneurs and business owners that came out of COVID. Type one really struggled, didn't pivot, didn't make changes, tried to do things the same way. And they really struggled. And some of them went out of business and a lot of them struggled and have continued to struggle this day. And then the other type said, I see that things are changing. So now I'm going to think outside the box. And so what you guys did was you said, well, hey, we don't have to bring them in. They can stay in their country. They can still work remotely. They can still be super productive with all these technology and tools. And then you started to disrupt the entire industry and growth happened every single year after that. For us, we dealt with something similar where 60% of our business came from live events across the country. Those live events all went away. And so we had to pivot and go to virtual events. And we did that three months later. And then every month after that, we struggled for about three months. And then month four, five, six, every month was growth after that and year after year, making those types of pivots. And you have to think outside the box. And if you haven't got through the adversity and struggles that you did earlier in your career, then you you aren't as comfortable, but you learn from that. You're like, "Ah, I'm going to pivot change here and we're going to find a solution and now you guys have grown uh, exponentially since then. So just a great lesson in, in how you deal with adversity and with unexpected change. Yeah, it was, you know, my time at Alliance Health, it, you know, it was pretty, it got pretty rough there, right? When you go from, you know, 200 million to, to not 200 million, right? You know, basically down to, to zero, like, as pretty, those times are pretty rough, right? And so I kept saying to myself when I was in the middle of, of this, you know, the COVID stuff, I'm like, well, it's never going to get worse than that, right? So, like, that was always my mantra, and it never did, right? It's like, you know, you just figured out a way, and it was it was great. And so um, we just stayed scrappy and, and and you know, found a solution. And that's, that's I mean, that's the startup way. That's what I like about it, right? If it doesn't work, you go find something else, and you pivot, and you pivot fast, right? You know, fail fast is, is you know, it's, we, I mean, it's in a thousand different, you know, startup books that I've read, um, and it is the greatest advice in the planet. Right. Fell fast. Yeah. What does it work? What does it work? Find a work. Find what works. And, you know, for a lot of startups, obviously, in the last uh, 18 months, we've seen a lot of change with venture capital firms and the way that they work. And so whereas there was easier money in 2020, 2021, and before that, where you could get that seed round, that next, that next, uh, you know, juice of, of capital to grow, what did, what did you find out? Because you guys did it differently. You bootstrapped for quite a while and then and then kind of earned that round of venture capital when it started to make sense. And I think a lot of founders are now going through that and they're they're going to have to find a way. So as they are forced to bootstrap, what were some of the keys to success early on as you guys bootstrapped? Yeah, You know, we were making several million dollars at the time we took our first round of funding, right? So like, yeah. Um, and when we took the round of funding, there was, uh, it was, there was definitely not, it was not as easy to find, you know, funding. Um, you know, we did have a bit of a cheat code with Paul, you know, having been in the VC world, he had great contacts. So it was, that was, um, 
we didn't go through the, you know, maybe a, a, the same process that others did, but it's because he had that experience and knew what they were looking for and said, Hey, look, you know, times are going to be tight here. Cash, you know, the ability to make cash, cash will be king on this. And so going in there and having a proven model, I mean, it helped. It was the, it was the difference, right? And we, we got with some great, you know, great VC firms and, and we did a, a nice mix of, of really good seasoned um, investors. Um, sweater, we were, we were uh, one of Sweater Capital's very first, uh, VC Capital's very first checks that they wrote. If you're not familiar with them, they, they have a model similar to Robinhood in the VC world. So if you want access to VC Capital or VC um, uh, investments, you can go through Sweater. And they've been amazing, amazing uh, uh, people. We've had a family office in Crocker Venture, um, and they have been just, you know, some, some of the most supportive um, supportive investors on the planet. And then Rob McMillan with AdVentures has been uh, an awesome, you know, just investor to kind of help bring us along, bring me along personally, right? This is my first VC as an entrepreneur. And Paul's been, he's, he's been on both sides of it and had exits, you know, on both sides of the, the house. Um, this is my first deal. And so these guys have, have been really kind and patient with me to to bring me along. And so that's, um one of the things that that I would tell you know anyone that would want to go into that world, not all checks are created equal, right? Money like sometimes a check is just a check, and that's okay, right? Um, I was I personally was looking for something a little bit more, and so for example, um, with with uh, Sweater Capital, uh, Sweater VC, uh, Cash Allred was is is been our point person there, and he's been awesome to deal with, right? Like. Hey, you know, you know, when I get stuck on an on an issue, I'll call Cash up and be like, "Hey, what do you think here?" And to be able to bounce ideas off of him, I've done I've done the same thing with Rob McMillan, and, and it's just um, it know who you're. Who I mean, for all intent, I mean, for all intents and purposes, these are now your new business partners. So know who you're getting in business with. That um, I've seen a lot of these things go. You know, having been in, in this world for a long time, I've seen a lot of these things go the wrong way. And so when we took money, it was we weren't going to take it from anyone, right? It was really important for us to take it from the right people. Completely agree with that. And one of the important factors I think that you've got to consider is does this person, does this organization share my values and principles? And do they have a roadmap for success? Have they been able to, you know, take other similar founders and organizations from A to Z, from a, you know, a, from a seed round to an exit, and really provide support and value, and and maybe even introductions of strategic partners? Like those things matter, and a lot of the times, you know, the founder or the group might just be looking for the check. And you're exactly right; all checks are not created equal. And that's super important. So for everybody listening, thinking, wow, I I love to have some assistance kind of building my team and staff. Tell us a little bit about your firm, IsoTalent, and specifically some of the problems uh, that IsoTalent solves in terms of getting the right fit of people and staff with with your business. Yeah, so one of the things that, that we look at when we when we built this out was we wanted to make sure that we we could help people. No, we're not looking to just put somebody in in you know an open role for you. That's not what success is defined at. Success for your company is defined in retention and finding the right role. So if we did our job correctly, some that that person better better dang will be sitting in that seat at least a year from now, right? And so. Um, and then also, like, if you don't like us, I don't want you to sit on some contract that, you know, where 
where like, you know, you have to wait, you know, 30 days, 90 days to fire me. Like, I'm going to stand on my quality. If you, if you hate me, fire me tomorrow. Right. And like all of our, you know, that's how our contracts are. They've been that way from since day one. And we'll still, they'll be like there that way as long as I'm here. And so um, that those are principles that are really dear to us. And so when we go in and we're helping people uh, find talent in your companies, we act as if it was our company, you know, that we're inside that these are going to be our coworkers, right. We're putting our name on it. Um, and we want to make the right, um, the right decisions with you uh, to get that the, the talent in there to help you meet your your business needs in a price that's like not ridiculous. And so um, I challenge you to find anyone there. I, like I've yet to find anyone that, that's less expensive than us. And I can show you the data. No one can do it. it uh, our data, uh, we are, are statistically speaking, we stack up better than anyone I've ever seen on the market. And I'll, I'll Joe, anyone the data wants to challenge it. So um, everyone, you know, we we can hire somebody unless it's typically 30 days or less. Um, and the price point is fantastic. And there's not the only thing what we as we built out and we started get, getting the need, um, we were built a marketplace. And so we actually have um, recruiters come from, you know, in all different uh, tality, uh, talents and, and specialties. And so the only thing that we don't hire at this point right now is doctors we hire everything else under the sun right we will hire we hire ceo we hire lots of ceos we hire so many developers and and and, and sales people that's really our foray um marketers and then all the way down to the front you know someone answering answering the phone at the front line and, and everyone it gets treated the same we have kind of the same principles all across the way and if you want them here if you want them in you know i don't care if you want them here or you want them in the philippines it, it doesn't matter to us we have we have recruiters in 12 different countries, you know, in basically every continent. And so we, we can find the talent you need. So finding talent should no longer be your issue. We've made a solution that you can afford it and that you can afford, any business can afford and, you know, to help you grow. Fantastic. So for everyone out there, you've got your startup, you got your organization, you're struggling to find the right talent fit and you want to be creative ISO Talent, it's isotalent.com is the website where you can go, you can reach out. And you know what I love? I love organizations that want to earn your business every day, every month, and not feel like, oh, I've got you locked in and you can't go anywhere, you're handcuffed. And that's a sign of an organization that knows that they're going to deliver value like ISO Talent does. And so anybody that hasn't moved to that model probably is more bureaucratic, not not thinking with the long-term in mind. And I think that's just super valuable and something that everybody should keep in mind as they're looking to place their talent and build their team. Last word, Rob, tell us, you know, when you're built, as you've been building your team now at ISO Talent, what were some of the values and principles and culture that you wanted to have build out with your own team that everybody listening can kind of take and, you know, oh, that, that makes sense. I should probably think about that with my own organization. You know, like I said, I, there's two things that I look for. Obviously, we're going to identify, regardless of the positions, like if there's weak spots that you're going to identify from a technical perspective, meaning, you know, it doesn't matter if you're hiring for marketing or sales, whatever it may be. The thing that I looked for is I wanted ownership, right? I, we were handing out and we hand out ownership. I don't, it doesn't matter what the level it is at the company. Um, so I wanted people to act like owners. So 
Um, I'm okay with people standing, stepping on toes. If, if I'm going to build something of value for me and my family, then that's, that's the goal, right? At the end of the day, I'm building something for me and my family Amen. that, um, I want to, I want, I, I look at it as a failure. If I go and have this major success, the people that help me get there, don't enjoy the success with me. Right. And so we hand out equity the way that, that you know, um, and significant equity, like, you know, our whole, my goal is like, I want to make several millionaires, you know, as we exit. Um, I want people in order to do that, you have to have people take true ownership in the process. And so it's really, you know, you know, we hire, we pass on a lot of really, really talented people um, because I just didn't feel like they were going to take the ownership they need. And we took chances on maybe some fresh faces because I thought they just had that hunger in taking an ownership in, in the process. Um, and, you know, and, and like everything, it, like people make mistakes. We, we haven't, we haven't been hundred percent, even in our own hires, but uh, as you go through that, boy, we got a good crew here. Oh man, we got a, we, we've got winners here. And they just own the process as if they were if they were the founders themselves. And I love that about this group. Dang, what what an awesome takeaway. Hire people that take ownership and then let them have the opportunity to earn, you know, those shares, that equity, so that they're working for something greater, you know, than just today, than just tomorrow, but actually working towards something of value where everybody wins and loses together super powerful. It reminds me of an interview I was watching where, you know, the guy with the hundred million dollar business is interviewing the billionaire and he's like, Hey, what's the difference uh, between growing from a hundred million to a billion? And the answer was more people who have more autonomy to own something and build it and sharing the rewards of building it with equity at the end of the day. That was what he said the difference was between when he had a hundred million dollar business and a billion dollar business. And that's exactly what you've just confirmed for us today. Rob, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. So much value again, everybody. You're looking to build the right team. Go to isotalent. That's isotalent.com. Rob, thanks for being a guest on the show. Appreciate it, Luke. Are you looking for more seven-figure secrets, content, or even how you can launch your own recession-proof business? Then check out sevenfigures.com. That's the digit seven, F-I-G-U-R-E-S.com, where we share more videos, stories, strategies, funding solutions, entrepreneurial education, and even the secret business type that's recession-proof. Thank you for listening, and if you're finding value in our podcast, please give us a five-star and invite others to join the club.